Let's open our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 14 to 18, where Paul read for us earlier. I've entitled the morning's message, Great Prophets, plural, and Moments of Great Despair. And let's pick it up in the middle of Jeremiah, experiencing for the first time where they actually laid hands on him and got physical and actually put him in stocks. And it's after this time that he's reflecting. It's sort of a, a complaint that Jeremiah has. And um, let's pick it up in verse 14, chapter 20. Cursed be the day in which I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father, saying, Male child has been born to you, making him very glad. And let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and did not relent. Let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at noon, because he did not kill me from the womb that my mother might have been my grave and her womb always enlarged with me. Why did I come forth from the womb? To see labor and sorrow, that my days should be consumed with shame. This morning, what I'd like to do is look at three of the great, greatest prophets um, who all came to a point of great despair, as great as they were. Without exception, they came to moments, like we were reading this morning, of great despair. Both Elijah and Jeremiah actually came to the point where they wanted to die. The greatest of the prophets, according to Jesus, was John the Baptist. Um, When they asked who he was, he just said, I'm just a messenger. Make straight the way of the Lord. He was the one whose job was to point out the Messiah. And he knew who he was because the Holy Spirit fell upon him at his baptism. And yet, John the Baptist, while suffering in prison, doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. So this morning, these three, Elijah, Jeremiah, and John the Baptist. Let's first start with Jeremiah. As I mentioned earlier, um, I think of uh, Saul reigning for 40 years. I think of David for 40 years. Solomon reigned for 40 years. Jeremiah's ministry was over a duration of a 40-year period of time. He was faithful to what God um, gave him to speak for 40 full years. And the thing of it is, it's the same. We've been going over this now for 22 chapters And it's pretty much uh, the same message over and over again. Judgment is imminent. It's going to come from the north. And there isn't anything you can do about it because of the sins of your your fathers, mainly Manasseh. And for this, he was rewarded with oppression, beating, imprisonment. He's referred to in chapter 9, he talks about weeping all night. That's what we would call Jeremiah the weeping prophet, he's lonely, he's rejected, and he's persecuted. And that's his legacy when all is said and done. Um, After giving the message for so long, let's go back to chapter 18, verse 18. People didn't want to hear it. They're fed up with the message. There were false prophets who were speaking good things, 
saying, don't worry about a thing, everything's be fine and dandy, don't worry about it. But in chapter 18, verse 18, they said, that's it, we've had it with you, Jeremiah. And they said, come, let us devise a plan against Jeremiah, for the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let's attack him with, his, with the tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. We, we do not want to hear what you have to say. Well, the rhetoric of the harsh words and saying, forget about it, we don't want to hear what you have to say, the next step in chapter 20 is they actually laid hands on him. Chapter 20 is the first time they got physical with Jeremiah. And so we read in verse 2 that Pusher struck Jeremiah, uh, the prophet, and put him in stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. And it happened on the next day that Pusher brought Jeremiah out of the stocks, and then Jeremiah said to him, the Lord has not called you Pusher, but Magor Mizpah. Uh, fear on every side. And um, so now it's gotten to the point, past the words, in prison, and it's at this point where, beginning in verse 7, he just sort of pours his heart out to the Lord. And one of my main points that we're going to look at this morning is as great as these men were, they were simply just men. And it'll be one of the things that brings comfort to me and brings comfort to you as we read about these great heroes of the faith. But verses um, 7 through 9, he's crying out to the Lord. And my subtitle above it says, Jeremiah's complaint to the Lord. He says, oh Lord, you induced me and and I was persuaded. You're stronger than I and I have and I have prevailed. I'm in derision every day. Everybody mocks me. For when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted, violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. And then he finally gets to the point, he says, I quit. (laughs) He says, I'm not going to mention or talk about the name of the Lord anymore. No more speaking in your name. And then we have this big little word, but he simply couldn't do it. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. He wanted to quit. He wanted to throw in the towel. He wanted to leave it all behind. He was sick of the uh, no encouragement, being lonely, being the only one. Not one person listened to him. And uh, I couldn't help but think of, um, I'm going to have you turn to John 6 in the New Testament. Where in the Christian life, unless you get rooted and grounded, in the Christian life, they're, they're, um, Lane mentioned um, the feeding of the 10,000 this morning. Don't misunderstand what he said. He, did, he got it correct. It's really 9,000. But in men's prayer yesterday, we're, we're in Matthew, and we're reading about the feeding of the 5,000. But then remember, there was also the time of the feeding of the 4,000. So that's... Two different, two different occasions that were there. And in John 6, Jesus, imagine having a guy that can uh, feed 4,000 people. Wouldn't he make a great king? I'd vote for him. <laughs> and so there were people that were following Jesus, and he even said so. Uh, the next day, some of them followed him around 
the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, and the Lord called them out. He said, you guys are here for one reason, and that's because I fed you yesterday, because of the bread. So Jesus gave one of those Bible studies in um, uh, John chapter 5 that's basically talking about what, what it's going to cost you to be a Christian, to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow, follow the Lord. And it's going to cost you something. Well, they didn't like that Bible study. And so we read in chapter 6, verse 60, after he had given this Bible study, it says in verse 60, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, boy, that's a hard saying. Who can understand it? They understood it all too well. It, it, it was, they wanted it to be about them, but the Lord was saying, no, you have to deny yourself, and you have to follow after me. Because Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured about this, and he said, does this offend you, that I talk about losing your life? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It's the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The word that I speak to you is spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. They weren't born of the spirit, and they were there because they were fed. And Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him by my father. And from that time, after that statement right there, notice what it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They had gotten to that point, like the, um, um, the parable of the sower, which we read yesterday in men's prayer. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man sowing seeds, and some of the seed fell on stony ground. Uh, this is he who hears the word of God. Well, they had heard the word of God. And they immediately receive it with joy. This is great, we're getting fed. Yet they have no root, no depth, no spirit, just flesh in themselves. They endure for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So imagine everybody just splitting, the majority, because they were there for the wrong reasons. Now Jesus turns around to the ones that he had picked, verse 67. And Jesus said to the 12, you guys want to go away too? You guys want to leave too? And then Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We have also come to believe, and we believe that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, um, like Jeremiah, what are we going to do? I want to quit, but I can't. I got his word in me, and even if I tried to hold it in, I couldn't hold it in. Now, last week we were talking about, or maybe it was Wednesday night, the healings where Jesus said, don't tell anybody now. <laughs> A leper, don't tell anybody. Hadn't been touched in years. Nobody had loved on him in years. And now, friends, he could go and communicate with and have supper with. He's not going to tell them? I don't think so. But like Jeremiah, um, we can go back to Jeremiah chapter 20. Like Jeremiah, he wanted to, in his complaint, he goes on, he says, I can't. 
stop doing what God has called me to do. And then it gets down to our text, which is in verse 14 through 18. I won't read it all again, except you get the point. He wishes he was never born. And it smacks of Job all over the place. Uh, Job chapter three, verses one through three, Job had, he had the world by the tail. He was wealthy, respected, always giving counsel, the wisest and richest man in the East, it says. And he loses it all in a day, including his children. And when he, as great as he was, um, he said the same thing. He came, here's a great man who now goes to great despair. Job 1 verse 3 says, And Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish of which I was born. And the night in which it was said a male child is conceived, may the day be darkened, and may God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. I wish I was never born. Sort of reminds me of George Bailey for some reason or another. (laughs) My dad didn't like movies, but he would not miss It's a Wonderful Life. And he loved George Bailey. Where did that come from? It's not in my notes. That's all I know. It's back there somewhere. I tell myself not to do it. (laughs) But it was a burning in my heart. And I said, no, no. All right. For 40 years, 40 years, Jeremiah is a broken-hearted prophet with a broken-hearted message. Who wants to do that? Who wants to be broken-hearted their whole life? And who wants to give a broken-hearted message where there's no hope? Gang, the reason we teach through the whole Bible is you need to hear that because you're going to have days like that. And it's the truth. And uh, for some reason, um, some people are considered second-class citizens when they go through a major fire or trial. And they said, I feel like giving up. And I want to give up, but I can't give up. Dylan's got a song, I want to let go, but I can't let go. I want to let go, but I can't let go. You can't. He's like Peter, he just knows too much. If you know it's the truth, where are you going to go? Who are you going to turn? You can't turn anywhere else. You've got to hang in there, and you've got to keep going. For 40 years, this was Jeremiah, yet he was faithful to his call. That's what the only thing that really matters, is your call. And we go back to uh, Jeremiah 1. You don't have to turn it, I'll just quote it to you. Jeremiah was called, the Lord the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet, Jeremiah, to the nations. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. And Jeremiah couldn't keep his mouth shut. Wanted to, but he couldn't. It was burning in his bosom, and he had to continue giving this brokenhearted message, as I've said earlier, before, during, and after the Babylonian siege and captivity. Let's switch gears and talk about Elisha. Go back to First uh, Kings chapter 19. A great prophet with great despair. Let me lead this up a little bit. Lord willing, we're headed out for Israel. And um, 
Actually, our first day of touring after we go to Caesarea, we go to Mount Carmel. Now, I had this up last week, but I, I asked if they still had it, and they do, so I'm going to put it up on the screen. The story that I'm going to tell in chapter 18, verses 20 through 40, I'm not going to read it all, but I'll give you a good feeling for this. So, guys, if you want to put Carmel up there, I'll point out a couple references. Um, Carmel, in this particular setting, what's visible is a valley that we call where the Battle of Armageddon will take place. Directly across the valley is Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. And where the picture is being taken from is actually where this story in chapter 18 unfolds. Jezebel had married Ahab, and she brought Baal worship into Israel and had persuaded um, the Israelites to be Baal worshipers instead of worshiping the one true God. So they have this contest where the Lord speaks to um, Elijah, and when he gets to his prayer, it's the prayer that the Lord had given him to pray. But let me set it up just a little bit, and we'll, I'll, we'll leave this up here. Um, to me, this is an A site because we know it's Mount Carmel, and I know there's a stream at the bottom of the hill. So the setting is, um, verse 20, Ahab sent all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. It was a challenge. Uh, who is God? Is Baal God or is Jehovah God? And Elijah came to all the people and said, how long are you guys going to falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is, then follow him. But the people didn't say a word. They just stood and looked at him. And then he said, all right, how about this? Let's say we make two altars. And um, you 450 prophets of Baal, you cry to your God. And then... Let the God who answers by fire, let him be God. So they said, that's, he's, he's, verse 24, the people said, well, that's well spoken. That's a good challenge. Makes sense. So he, he said, you guys go first. And so they took the wood, they took the bowl, and they cut him up. And, and um, then they began to call. It was morning time. Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no, no voice, no answer. And then they began to get Pentecostal, and they leaped up and down and jumped on the altar, and they did this till noon. And uh, about noontime, Elijah uh, began to see nothing's going to happen here, so he gets a little sarcastic. Actually, he gets really sarcastic. <laughs> and he says, why don't you guys cry a little bit louder? Maybe he's meditating or he's busy. The word busy there is uh, um, using the restroom. Or maybe he's on a journey or perhaps sleeping and you need to cry a little bit louder because he's taking his afternoon nap. And so this went on till midday was passed and, it, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. They were going at it all day long. They got so into it they began to cut themselves and yet no response. And then Elijah said, enough, my turn. What he did is he repaired the altar of the Lord the stone altar. And then he took 12 stones, representing the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And then he put the wood on the altar. Then he took 
the offering and cut it in pieces and laid it on, on the altar. And um, then he said, I want you to uh, douse it with water. So they doused the whole offering with water. He says, do it again. So they did it again. He says, do it again. So three times he dealt, built this trench around it and it was filled up with water. It was sopping wet. And he prays the simple little prayer. In verse 36, he says, let it be known this day that the Lord God in Israel and that I'm your servant and I have done all the things at your word. See, Elijah is just following instructions. This was all set up by the Lord. And he says, now, Lord, hear me, that the people may know that you're the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Amen. That took all about 10 seconds. They went at it all day long. What happens? Fire immediately comes down from heaven, consumes the offering, consumes the wood, consumes the stone, consumes the water, consumes everything. And the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah says, get these prophets out of my sight. Don't let one of them escape. And uh, he says, take them down to the brook Kishron and quench from there. From this vantage point, I know where it is, but it's kind of behind the outgrowth of those trees. As you go down the hill, that, there's a creek that's still there. Is it the same one? I don't know, but there's a creek there at the bottom of the foot of Mount Carmel. Also from that vantage point, if you look to the east, you can see the Mediterranean Sea. So over here you can see the Mediterranean, and over here you can see um, this, this valley. And um, the next thing that three and a half years earlier, uh, Elijah went to Ahab, and he says, listen, it's not going to rain till I say so. And this is going to be a judgment because you've turned away from the Lord and you've turned towards the Baal. That's been three and a half years now. And now Elijah prays again. Let me quote um, F.B. Meyer because at this point, talk about a mountaintop experience, right? Calling fire down from heaven. Then rounding up all the bad guys, getting rid of them. He's having a pretty good day. Good place for an amen. He's having a good day, right? And... um, Yet, as he prays, um, he tells his servant uh, to go and check out and see if there's any storms on the horizon. And his servant kept coming back and said, there's nothing happening. And he prays seven different times. And the seventh time, his servant comes back and says, you know, there's this little hand. It's sort of creeping up off the water. He says, that's it. And he says, go tell Ahab right now that he better head for the hills Verse 45 says, so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead uh, to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, I want to get a little sidetracked here with this three-and-a-half-year thing. Because it had not rained for three-and-a-half years. Jesus verifies it in the New Testament. James talked about it. But here's where I want to bring in the human aspect of even though he was one of the greatest prophets of all time. Let me quote from F.B. Meyer in his book, Great Men of the Bible. He says, the Bible saints often fail just where we would expect them to stand. 
Abraham was the father of those who believed, but his faith failed him when he went down to Egypt and he lied to Pharaoh about his wife. Moses was the meekest of men, but he missed Canaan because he spoke unadvisedly with his lips. And so Elijah shows himself to be indeed a man of like passions with ourselves. If there is not even a glimmer of hope to be had out of this woeful spectacle of Elijah's fall, if it had not been for this, we would always have thought of him of being so far removed from us to be in any sense a model. Well, of course he does these things. He's Elijah. Well, this is what James says about Elijah. Um, James chapter five, verse 17. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Can I read that again? Elijah, this great man of God, was a man just like you and like me. Yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three and a half years. He prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. James is pointing all the way back to 1 Kings chapter 18. So here he is riding high in his mountaintop experience, and um, just, again, to make it personal to our times. Uh, We can glean a lot, like it says in the New Testament. These things were written for our learning. Well, what we want to see as we go through the Bible is that you can be used greatly from the Lord, but you're going to have days like this where there's going to be great depression. And we find that Elijah finds out that Jezebel heard what he had done. And her attitude is, may that guy be dead tomorrow if I get my hands on him. And he freaked out. And when he heard that, he ran for his life and he went to Beersheba. But he himself went a day's journey. I'm in chapter 19 in the wilderness and he came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed and he said, it's enough, I give up. Lord, take my life for I'm no better than anybody else. Well, nobody ever said you were, Elijah. But here he was from the mountaintop right to the place where, like Jeremiah, he says, I want to die. Again, let me get back to the sidetrack here. Yes, this really happened in history. Yes, it was a miracle for three and a half years. Gang, if it's as late as I think it is, this same Elijah will once again make an appearance on planet Earth, and I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. What do you mean, Dwight? Well, he did make an appearance during Jesus' day, remember? Honor transfiguration, Moses and Elijah. Peter was so caught up with seeing these two, two guys, the father had to speak from heaven. He says, this is my beloved son, guys. I want you to listen to him. Yeah, but Moses is here, and Elijah is here. No, 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 this is my son. He's the one I want you to listen to. But my point is, is, He's here. He never saw death. He was taken into heaven, as you know. But he shows up again in the Gospels. Well, if it's as late as I think it is, the very last verse of the Old Testament says this. I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord. He's going to turn the hearts of the children to their father and the hearts of the father back towards their children, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Why we're here today, I don't know. 
Why the Lord hasn't, the rapture hasn't happened? I don't know. I think it should have. I mean, every day gets worse, doesn't it? Every day we hear some other bombing, some other killing, nine yesterday. And every day it's just, and it's not always ISIS. It's just lawlessness abounding, just like the Bible said would happen in the last days. We're living in a time where lawlessness is abounding. Our police officers are the bad guys. And everything's twisted. And uh, that which is right is wrong, and that which is wrong is right. They're calling good evil and evil good. Another place for an amen. Those are the times in which we live. So I believe that within the next several years, the same Elijah that we're reading about here, right after the rapture of the church, God always leaves a witness. Israel was a witness in the Old Testament. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. And there's coming a time when he's going to remove 2 Thessalonians 2. Says it's going to be taken out. Well, then we still need witnesses. What do we have? The two witnesses. And uh, I believe they're Moses and Elijah. For sure, Elijah. And they appear in the middle of the tribulation. Their ministry is going to last for 1,260 days. You know how long that is? Interesting number. Three and a half years. And what what does it say? Romans, Revelation 7, verse 1 says that the Lord's going to send an angel and catch the four winds. What happens when the wind doesn't blow? Well, the water cycle system just doesn't blow. So what happened way back here, and when I read something, I go, that's pretty far out, Lord, to wrap my head around. What do you mean it's not going to rain for three and a half years? Do you really believe that? Yeah, I really do. You see, it happened before. But what I want to tell you is that happened a long time ago and it's going to happen again and I think it's only a couple of years away. If his ministry is for three and a half years and I believe it's late right now and the Lord could come and what are we told to do? In your bulletins today, um, we got the prophecy conference coming up. Good time for a plug. The times of the signs, that's what we're calling it this year. The times of the signs. Biggest sign is Israel and the things that we're watching unfolding. And when it got to the last day things, the only thing that the Lord said over and over again is make sure you're ready, right? Make sure you're praying and make sure you're watching. And so we have the possibility, we're not going to be around to see Elijah uh, do these things because I believe the rapture of the church takes the church out and then these guys arrive on the scene. All right, back to, back to uh, 1 Kings 19. He's had it in verse 4. He says, it's enough. Take my life. And then he ends up down and pick it up in verse 9. Um, he ends up in this cave. And he's just in there having this pity party, feeling sorry for himself. And it says that he went into a cave and he spent the night in this place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing in here, Elisha? And so he said, well, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, the children of Israel. They've forsaken your covenants, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I'm the only guy that's left, and now they want to take my life. And believe me, this is a full-on pity party. And then he said, this is the Lord, he says, Elijah, I want you to go and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. 
And it was a great and a strong wind that tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after a fire, a still small voice. None of these dramatic events got Elijah's attention. But when he heard that still, small voice, at verse 13, when he heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out and he stood in the entrance of the cave. The dramatic doesn't draw people. As we read last week with Rich Ben and Lazarus, miracles won't necessarily do it either. But when you know that voice, and he's calling you. I can't help but think Elijah goes, I know that voice. That's the voice that I heard when I was first called. And it's what got Elijah's attention, and he comes out. And the Lord spoke to him again. And he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, this is almost humorous to me because he's a broken record. He says exactly what he said the first time. What are you doing here? Well, I've been very zealous with the Lord God of Israel because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenants, uh, torn down your altars, killed the prophets, and I am the only one left, and they want to take my life. And so here he is. The Lord had to talk to him twice, and he's still in this place in his cave. Uh, Again, let me quote F.B. Meyer at this point. Little do we know how much we would miss if God were to do as we requested. To die now would be to to forgo immeasurable blessings that await us within the future. He could have died like a dog. Instead, the Lord has plans. It is better to leave it all in the wise and tender, loving hands of our Heavenly Father. Some of you here this morning, some of you watching live stream, like Jeremiah, like Elijah, I quit. I'm done. I'm the only one. I don't want to do it anymore. And you're in your cave. You're all by yourself. You're going through a time of great depression, and all you want to do is die. Oh, you won't tell people about it. The only one who really knows the depths of it is the Lord himself. But let me just say this. I'm not exempt from that. You're not exempt. If these were the greatest prophets that ever walked, and they got to the point where they're saying, I want to check out, uh, don't think that it can happen to any one of us. Good place for an amen. Might be a hard one. It's true. And... um, I believe Peter gave up. When he denied the Lord the third time, this is what Jesus did. That, that rooster crowed. And he swore up and down, all these guys will flake out, but not me. I'm Rocky. You called me that. But when he denied the Lord the third time and that rooster crowed, Jesus went like this. Looked over at Peter. And Peter couldn't handle that look. It was not a look of condemnation. And it wasn't a look of, I told you so. It was a look of, I know the humanity of humans and their weaknesses. And that Peter checked out at that time. 
There was a reason when Jesus rose from the dead and um, Cleopas is coming back and reporting to to the disciples. It says, the Lord's risen indeed. Oh, by the way, he appeared to Peter. Well, what do we know about that? Absolutely nothing. Because I don't think the Lord wants us to know what happened there. That was personal. That was between Jesus and it was between Peter. Peter felt he had committed the unforgivable sin, I'm sure, and he could never, ever be used by the Lord again. And yet, of course, he was restored. And But believe me, I believe Peter was, was at that place. And so that could be you this morning. But know this, if you're in that place, you're in your cave, and you're in there having that pity party, and nobody cares, I'm the only one who knows what's going on, just as the Lord sought out Elijah with that still, small voice, so he wants to seek you out. Now, I don't know who you are, and I don't know who you're going through, and I don't know if you're here or watching online, but Jesus told the parable. He says, what do you think? If a man has a 100 sheep and one of them goes astray, Does he not leave the ninety and nine and go to the mountains to seek out that one that is all alone? And if he should find him, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the other ninety and nine that go astray. What's the remedy for being in the pit of despair and getting you back on track? Well, first of all, it's a still small voice. And when a still small voice, you go, I remember that. Oh, I remember that voice. And I remember when he called me and he loved on me and he forgave me. Well, what does he tell him to do? Well, let's read the rest of these verses 15 through 18. The Lord said to him, I know you're having a tough day and I just uh, thought I'd show up to comfort you a little bit. No. He says, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you get there, I want you to anoint Haziel, the king over Syria. And also, I want you to anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshah, as king over Israel. And then Elisha, the son of Zaphat, of Abel-Meholah. And anoint him as prophet in your place. And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah will kill. And by the way, Elijah, you think you're the only one? There are 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. You think you're the only one? No. I know everyone, and there are 7,000 of them out there. And so basically, he's saying get with it and get busy again. Just get back involved. Well, let's go to the last one. And this, according to Jesus, is the greatest man who ever lived, John the Baptist, Luke chapter 7, New Testament. Jesus said about John, of all those born among women, there's never been a greater than John. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets, and Jesus himself said, John's the greatest. Never did any miracles. He had one job, and that was to be the forerunner to the Lord. But, uh, again, we read this in men's prayer yesterday. 
um, and he got himself thrown, thrown into prison. And I don't know, it's just something about being in prison for who knows, a couple months, day after day, that John actually began to doubt what happened that day when the Holy Spirit fell on Jesus and he baptized him. And he said, behold the Lamb of God, right there, that's him, who takes away the sins of the world. So he, we have the greatest having his time where he actually doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. Let's pick it up in verse 17. And this report went about all of Judah and the surrounding region. Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. So John called two of his disciples and sent them to Jesus saying, are you the one or, we, or we do, do we look for another? And I go, are you kidding me? John the Baptist, the only one who knows for sure, is actually saying, should we be looking for somebody else right now? He's doubting. And when the men had come to them, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you, and he wants to know, are you the one? Or should we be looking for somebody else? And from that very hour, he cured many people in their infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, And to many who were blind, he gave sight. And then Jesus sends John the Baptist's disciples back with this. And he says, I want you to go tell John the things that you've seen and heard. And that the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. What he's doing is he's quoting Isaiah chapter 61. Verse one, because that's what the Messiah would do and John the Baptist would know it all too well. And he, then he goes on in verse 28, he says, I say to you, among those born of women, there's no greater than John the Baptist. Well, here's the greatest of all the prophets and he is actually in a place of doubt. He's doubting that Jesus really is the Messiah, and it had to be of great despair to him. And so he sends back John with this scripture, one more that I purposely left out, because that he would have gotten from Isaiah 61, but what he said next was personal. Just like it was personal between Peter and Jesus, I think Jesus gives a little message here to the guys in verse 23, and then he says, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. What? Why would John the Baptist be offended of Jesus Christ? And why would he doubt that he would ever be the Messiah? Well, John was under the vow of a Nazarite. No cutting the hair, you know, of the wild locusts and the, and, uh, the camel skin garment. And uh, as a Nazarite, he would not have been allowed to eat grapes, drink wine, any of, those, any of those things. I think John was offended because when we go down to verse 33 and uh, this little message, blessed are those who aren't offended in me, John. This is what I think stuck John right between the heart because verse 33 says, for John the Baptist came neither eating bread or drinking wine. And you say he has a demon. 
but the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, he's a glutton, he's a wine bibbler. He's even a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. Well, John would never do any of those things. And now Jesus is associating with people of questionable character, actually choosing to hang with, with um, oh, let's see, what can we use? We got a biker ministry in the church here. Let's pick on them, huh? <laughs> Bikers. Those big guys in the leather jackets and their shades and their whole nine yards and their Harleys. Jesus would hang out with them. Oh, yeah. They're some of the most faithful guys in ministry today. And they're reaching out and doing effective work. And Jesus didn't go to the Hebrew University and, and pick those top of the class, the scribes and the Pharisees. No, he went to Galilee, picked up fishermen, James and John, ordinary guys. And after three years walking with Jesus, that he turned them loose. So this morning, in, in tying this all up, closing application, Great men, if we're going to be true with the whole Bible, and um, you know, we don't write books about here at Calvary about how to become a better you or your best life now. <laughs> if you're walking with the Lord, it's not going to be your best life now. And you need to know you're in a war. And it needs to be spoken from the pulpit. Amen? It needs to be spoken from the pulpit. Because everything else out there isn't. It's seeker sensitive, it's make you feel good. They won't get it. They're not going to tell you about Jeremiah. They're not going to tell you about Elijah's time when he wanted to die. They're not going to tell you about John the Baptist being doubtful that Jesus even was the right guy because he's associated with people of questionable character. John 16, verse 33 I have said this to you that you may have peace. And then he says, in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, because I overcame the world. This is as bad as it's ever going to get. Indeed, in 2 Timothy, indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let's close by turning to the Gospel of John chapter 15. John 15 verse 18 says, if the world hates you, well, gang, if you don't compromise with Scripture and um, instead of saying, you know, you, you, can, you can jump up all down, up all day long and worship Baal. Today we say you can jump up and down all day long and, and pray to Allah. That would be equivalent to the same thing in that time. Well, you're going to be persecuted for saying that. Now you're prejudiced. And um, now you're being narrow-minded and bigoted. But the Lord said, if they did it to him, they're going to do it to you. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, and I chose you out of the world. Do you know that the word church means called out once? That this really isn't our home, that we really are just passing through? Somebody was talking to me earlier. He says, well, we're not going to see Lane again. I said, oh, we'll see him pretty soon. And he had to think about it a little bit. And we are. We're going to see him pretty soon. It could be before next week, and we're all home together. Amen? We might see him sooner than we want to. I don't know. 
Remember the word that I said unto you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they've kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. And so the Lord just laid it out there. If you're gonna, if you're gonna walk this walk, there'll be great mountaintop experiences like you can't even put into words. There'll be times when the presence of the Holy Spirit is so thick you can cut it and the joy of the Lord will be overflowing to tears. Well, there's a flip side to that coin. And um, that is times of great doubt and great despair. Just know this, you're normal. Jamie Omens Collins wrote a song, one of my favorites. We actually brought her here many years ago because of this song. I fell in love with it. It's called Seasons of the Soul. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. But I want, I'll give you a one-liner that speaks so much truth in it. The song is great by itself. She's talking about the Christian life and the different seasons that every believer must go through. Remember, all the disciples except John were killed for their faith. But she's got this line talking about being in the cave and that dark place of great despair. And she just puts it this way, as only she can. She says, the dark is just the middle, not the end. It's simply part of being seasons of the soul of the Christian life. Amen? Let's stand we'll close in prayer. Lord, we thank you. This morning as we make our way through your word and we find ourselves in Jeremiah. First of all, we're grateful that um, you lay it all out for us. Uh, The great joys, the great mountaintop experiences, but also that these great men were just men and that we could identify with them when we go through our times of great despair. In closing, Lord, I want to pray for that person this morning that wants to check out, they want to die. They're in great despair. Lord, I pray that through your word this morning, they would understand that this is very normal and just a part of the season of the soul. It's just the middle, it's not the end. You got a glorious future as you did in drawing Elijah out of that cave with his still small voice and you just simply told them to get busy again. There's work to be done. May we receive that word of exhortation this morning. We love you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.